So today we're going to return back to uh, the book Managing Your Anger by Neil T. Anderson and uh, Rich Miller. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Sins of the Fathers. And uh, it starts off with a quote from uh, Chrysostom, Chris Ost um, which is a commentary on Ephesians 6.4. Paul does not say love your children. Nature itself takes care of this. By implanting this in us, even against our will. So the interpretation would be superfluous. Uh, instead, what does he say? Do not make your children angry. So many parents do this. They do this by depriving them of their portion of the inheritance and their promises, by oppressing them with their burdens, and by treating them not as though they were free, but as slaves. When people ask for help, we want to hear their story and we begin by saying, tell me about your mom and dad and their parents. Were they believers or unbelievers? We want to have a rough idea of what family history, of what the family history is. Is there any cult or occult involvement? Does the family have any repeated patterns of sin? When they agreed to be led through the steps, inquirers pray and ask God to reveal to their minds who they need to forgive. The first two people mentioned 95% of the time are mom and dad. They probably aren't the two most evil people in their lives, but they are the most significant, especially in the early years of their maturation. In the quote above, Chris Ostrom said, parents, but Paul uh, puts the onus on fathers to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and to do so without provoking them to anger, Ephesians 6.4. Conflicts are inevitable in every home, and learning how to handle them will either provoke anger or bring peace, uh, peaceful revolution, uh, resolution. How we face these conflicts reflects on how much we value the relationships and how important it is for us to accomplish our goals. Those who have a higher desire to achieve but low regard for relationships will approach conflict with the goal of winning. If they don't care about either, they will likely withdraw from the conflict. Those who have the low regard for relationships but shy and shy away from direct confrontation will try to manipulate others to accomplish their goals. Those who have high regard for relationships will seek to resolve conflicts if they desire to accomplish something meaningful. Those who seek middle ground will work towards a compromise. Finally, some will yield to others when conflicts arise in order to keep the peace. There is no single right way to approach every conflict. We could write a book on this subject alone, but for the sake of this discussion, we'll focus on two, on the, on two issues. First, which of the above conflict styles are more likely to be identified with secure people? In other words, what is the more important having a high regard for relationship or achieving our goals? Clearly, those who walk away from others, try to manipulate others, or seek to win at all costs are more insecure than those who seek to resolve conflicts and work towards compromise or yield to others. A sense of security is more apt to come from meaningful relationships than accomplishments. The most secure people are those who love God and others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Matthew 5.9 
How many verses can you find in the Bible that say you have to be right, first, tops, or win in every circumstance? How many verses can you find in the Bible that say we should be loving, kind, merciful, patient, forgiving, accepting, and gentle? When the price for winning costs us meaningful relationships, the price is too high. Yielding or compromising to keep the peace, when something can be can and should be resolved, will also be costly in the long run. We can sweep issues under the carpet for a time, but eventually we will trip uh, we will trip over them. We should strive to resolve conflicts the moment they arise whenever possible. Conflicts handled incorrectly can lead to stalemates rather than discussions and ultimately damage our relationships. Whether the conflict is constructive or destructive is determined by the following. Conflict is destructive when we do not understand the value of the of conflict that naturally comes when other options and perspectives are shared. Uh, when there is a competitive climate that implies a win-or-lose situation, getting my own way is all important. When we employ all kinds of defense mechanisms, including projection, suppression, blame, withdrawal, and aggression, we are locked into our own perspective and unwilling to consider the others. We resort to personal attacks instead of focusing on issues. Personal ideas and opinions are valued over relationships. Conflict is constructive when we understand the need to hear the other side so responsible discussions can be made. When there is a cooperative spirit and commitment to seek a win-win situation, doing it God's way is all important. We aren't defensive and assume that disagreements evolve from the other person's sincere concern for the matter. We believe that a final agreement is better than any one individual's suggestion. Disagreements are confined to issues rather than personalities. Relationships are more important than the need to win. Second, which conflict type, uh, style typified your father, your mother, you? Chances are you deal with conflict the same way one of your parents did, or you are trying not to be like one or both of them. Maybe you despise angry tempers and cruel words of your parents and vowed to never be like them. There is a problem with saying, I am not going to be like my dad or my mother. It is still your mom and dad determining how you respond. Such vows should be renounced. We should become like Christ and not try to be or not be like someone else. Unless we make concerted efforts to do otherwise, we will perpetuate the habits, customs, traditions passed on in our family for generations. We will discipline our children the way we were disciplined unless we learn otherwise. The families we are we were born into and the way we have raised have shaped our present beliefs and behaviors. Some of those family traits can be very good and others not so good. Our natural personalities and temperaments have been mostly established by the time we are five years old. Nobody has contributed more to our early development than our parents. Thankfully, our Heavenly Father has the power to remake us. It is a com- It is common to hear statements like, he is a chip off the old block, 
or he's a spitting image of his old man. The latter is slang, meaning that someone is in, in the spirit and in the image of an ancestor. Others have said, if you want to know what your wife will look like in 20 years and take a look at her mother, or his family is nothing but a bunch of horse thieves. Every family has their unique history and strengths and weaknesses that are passed on from generation to generation. Jesus said, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher, Luke 6.40. This generational connection is clearly observed in the cycle of abuses, which is well-attested social phenomenon. The abused become the abusers. Whether this cycle is passed on genetically, environmentally, or spiritually is the question. Secular theorists only consider the first two possibilities. It is nature-nurture, or the supernatural that shapes the next generation. We believe it is, a, it is a combination of all three of these. First, we can be genetically predisposed to certain strengths and weaknesses. For instance, it is known that some people are more prone to become alcoholics than others. The average person may drink socially for many years and never develop an addiction, while others can be hooked in just a few years. They weren't born alcoholics, nor are they doomed to be one. They become addicted to alcohol by choosing to drink as a means of coping, reducing stress, dealing with pain, or to get rid of inhibitions so they can party. Others with the same genetic predisposition didn't become alcoholics because they made better choices. There is very little that we can do about our genes other than to recognize our strengths and limitations, accept ourselves for who we really are physically, and be wise in the decisions we make. Second, the environment we were raised in is the biggest contributor to our development. This process of learning is, a far, is far more caught than taught. The actions of our parents have spoken louder than their words. If you were raised in a home where pornography was left around the house, you will struggle with lust more than a person who is raised in a morally responsible home. If we are raised by angry parents who argue a lot, we just might think that is normal behavior. The third element, or development, is the spiritual influence of our ancestors for good and evil. In the Ten Commandments, God said, You shall not make for yourself an idol and any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on earth, beyond, uh, beneath or in wa water or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6. This, uh, this citation confer, affirms that God blesses those who are obedient to his covenant and to the thousandth, thousandth generation but the iniquities of those who are disobedient are passed on from the third and fourth generations.